Med Stories, Episode 56. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. So I went through school that way, sort of with the mindset of being a good girl and thinking that grace was for the people who uh, really needed forgiveness. But as someone who kind of did life the quote unquote right way and tried really hard and didn't have those big sins under her belt, then I was kind of doing okay, except for when I wasn't. And so my life sort of was this pendulum swing between like being super prideful that I was awesome or feeling a deep sense of shame because I knew I couldn't keep this up. I remember talking to a friend and counselor who looked at me and he said, listen, this is not who you are. This may be how you cope. This is not who you are. And that made all the difference because I realized my identity did not rest in my performance and I didn't have to perform for my acceptance, but now I could perform from my acceptance. I could simply be who I was in the presence of Christ. That's all he really asked of me. That made all the difference. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey there, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad you've joined me. And for those of you who are returning from listening to Emily's dad's interview, Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Well, today we are celebrating with Emily P. Freeman the release of her fourth book, Simply Tuesday. And it's so much more than a book, you guys. It is a soul-changing, life-giving journey through words that Emily offers to us that help us find our own self-awareness, that help us get in touch with our own deep places of our soul. And there aren't many books that I find life-changing, but this is one of them. And over the years, Emily has become a dear online friend, and it's just such an honor that she has stopped by today for us to cheer her on and celebrate the release of her latest book, Simply Tuesday. And so for those of you who don't know who Emily is, Emily is a mom to three adorable children. She's the wife to John, and she is a writer, author, and blogger who endlessly helps our souls find a place to breathe. Her blog is entitled Chatting at the Sky, and also you can get there by going to emilypfreeman.com. And I just can't tell you how life-giving and inspiring my conversation with Emily was. This book has changed me in so many ways, and it was just such a gift to be able to spend time with her. Now, there are so many wonderful things Emily shares in this episode. And if you want to not be furiously taking notes like I was tempted to do as I listened back to it, I have created some show notes uh, for free. It's a free PDF that you can receive. All you have to do is get out your cell phone and text the words episode 56 with no spaces to the number 33444. And a PDF of those show notes with quotes from this interview and from Emily's book will be delivered to your email inbox for free as my gift to you. And so I hope you'll take advantage of it. I just don't want to delay any further. Hang on. This episode is just the most darling, lovely, kind experience I've had in a long time. And it is my honor to present to you my conversation with Emily P. Freeman. May your souls be encouraged today. Enjoy. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. It makes my heart so very happy that you're here. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Well, I remember meeting you back in the fall of 2011 at the Relevant Conference, which is now called the Illum Conference. And you were speaking and releasing your very first book, Grace for the Good Girl. And the conference planners that year decided that at the opening dinner, they would scatter speakers throughout the dinner tables around the room. And then after spending a little time at each table, they'd rotate And it was a way to get to know speakers, which I found very fun. And you were seated at my table first. And I'd only been blogging for three months. I had no idea who anyone was. I got a ticket at the last minute. And so, you know, people that I was meeting, it's not like I recognized them or what their blog was at the time. And 
I found you at that dinner table to be so engaging and conversational and just so very kind. It marked me. And so I looked you up and I started reading your words. And that next summer when I attended a She Speaks session of yours, She Speaks being a conference in North Carolina near where you live, I'll never forget, I was walking down the hall um, one of the days after your session, and you and your sister were standing there talking to some people, and my plan was just to walk right by, uh, feeling very small, as we do in this online world. And I remember you noticing me, and you went out of your way to stop and reach across that hallway, call me by name, and have a conversation. And maybe to you, it was an act that was really small and seemingly insignificant, but it made me feel seen and welcomed and loved. And so although our connection, you know, has mostly been an online one, I just want you to know here at the start that your words to me and to so many over the years have kept us company and inspired us and helped our souls to breathe in so many ways. And I feel like to me in internet years, we're just old friends. So thanks so (laughs) much for being here. That's so fun. What great. We can stop now, Jackie. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, that's so lovely. Well, it's funny you mentioned that first meeting at that conference, just as an aside, when we had to rotate around the tables, because as a speaker that year, like that was my first year at the relevant Loom conference. And um, I hadn't really spoken at a whole lot of blogging conferences. And they were like, and now you're going to rotate every 15 minutes at different dinner tables as one of the speakers. And it was terrifying. (laughs) Because like, not only do you have to do small talk with one group of people, but you have to then reintroduce yourself to each table. And nobody, people didn't really know who, you know, it's one thing if you're like Jennifer Aniston rotating around tables and everybody knows <laughs> truly, who you are. Truly. But I'm like, I'm Emily P. Freeman. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, so to know that that then translated into you being a reader and a friend, that makes it worth it. Well, I'm glad because it was worth it. And I still remember. And that was a whole four internet years ago. So which is like 80 years. Totally. Totally. Well, I know you and I know many who are listening know you, but maybe there's somebody out there who's never heard of Emily P. Freeman. So could you just (laughs) take a short minute and just introduce us to your husband, your family, where you live and your little space online? Absolutely. So I live in North Carolina. Uh, Greensboro, North Carolina is kind of right in the middle of the state, up uh, towards the top. My husband, John, and I have been married for 14 years, and we have three kids, twin girls who are headed to middle school. They're 11 and a half, and our son, who is going into third grade this year. And so I I went to school first as a piano major. Then I changed to sign language interpreting, which is kind of funny, music to sign language. And I did that for, for several years into when John and I got married and then when I had the twins. Um, And then after a while, I sort of ended up with two babies at home who were born very early, uh, almost two months early. Oh, they were. Um, Yeah, they were. That fascinates me as labor and delivery. I bet. Because I'm sure you had bed rest, right? And I did. And I I see you experiences. Mm -hmm. I sure did. And so they came. It was about seven weeks early they came. And um, so they spent some time in the NICU and But after all of that, I ended up sort of quickly uh, diminishing my hours to the point where I just ended up staying home full time with them for those first couple years. And it was during that time when I started writing again. I mean, I I was one of those people who sort of grew up writing in my journals. And that's sort of how I processed life. I didn't really know what I thought about something until I wrote it down. But once I had two babies at one time, everything normal just kind of flew out the window and it was survival mode for a year or so. Um, But it was during the time, I think the twins were maybe 18 months or maybe two when I started the blog. And that's when I sort of started writing. Um, And that maybe that it's been about 10 years now. So I've had a, I've been writing on the internet for 10 years, which, you know, like you said, that's like, I don't know, way longer in way. real life years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and as a way for you to see what was happening inside yourself. That's what I'm hearing you say. Writing has done that for you. It absolutely has. It's been a gift, but it took me a while to recognize it and honor it as something important and the way God made me to process life. Yeah, it is an elusive job, isn't it? In the sense that there's not really an office or a boss or anybody demanding anything, although publishers can tend toward that, I'm imagining. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not pretend. Just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) They keep you on the straight straight and narrow. That's right. Oh, well, I have to say, I 
thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking to your dad in the last episode. And I know that dads can be weird and sometimes embarrassing <laughs> because I have one. And many people are smitten by my my dad. But sometimes, you know, as the daughter, you're just kind of like, really? Like putting it out there. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> But I just held it as such a privilege that he would come as kind of a non-internet-y. I think he was my first guest who's not even on Twitter or Facebook or any of those places. I was like, well, where am I going to link to him? Like, there is nowhere to link to him. And um, I just held it as such a privilege to um, cherish his story and his vulnerability and so thankful for all he shared. And for those of you who are listening, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the previous episode, episode 55, I enjoyed an interview with Emily's dad, Gary Moreland. And you can hear that uh, if you look that up, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 55. But I know that in your first book, Grace for the Good Girl, you did write about some of the mud you faced in life, mud like wrestling down perfectionism and the try hard life. I'm wondering as we start today in the context of all your dad shared and the mud he faced, what did growing up with an unbelieving alcoholic dad look like for you? And how do you think it impacted your view of yourself or maybe predispose you to some of your own mud that you'd have to face along the way? It's funny, the home we grow up in, we always think is normal. And it just, you don't realize it until you grow up. And even for me, have my own home where I was the grown up, when I realized, oh, maybe my childhood wasn't normal. But it was because nobody's childhood is normal, really. It's just, it is what, what you experience. And so I had in a way that it was an opportunity, I look back and see that I had the privilege of seeing life, what life looks like without Jesus and what life looks like, uh, how he actually makes a difference in someone's life. Mm-hmm. Because as a, as a girl, I grew up with a dad who, um, you know, like he shared, was an alcoholic. And that affects everybody differently. I think my sister and I, you know, we grew up in the same house, but we internalized that addiction and that sort of codependence Mm -hmm. differently. Um, I somehow took on responsibility for everyone and everything. And so um, anything that happened in our family that was bad, I thought it was my fault. And I didn't realize that until I grew up and and realized that, oh, I'm kind of carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I think it's my responsibility to fix all the things. And if something's wrong – I feel a deep sense of shame about it that I couldn't explain. So, and I don't, you know, mom and dad, I think would be like, you did what? You know, they would never wish that on me, think that themselves, but that's just the, that's how it goes. And I even see some of that in my own kids now. And John and I are not alcoholics, but I see just the way children are great recorders of information and terrible interpreters. And that was me. You know, I was just, I recorded all the information, but then I took it upon myself to think it was my fault. And so for me, the way that sort of manifested itself growing up was I just had a deep, a deep uh, responsibility of life and thought that I needed to manage every outcome. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be, I would never say I have to be perfect. Like when none of us would say that because we know that's crazy. Um, But that is sort of how it ended up for me. And when I became a Christian, when I met Jesus, it it wasn't so much like I I didn't have one of those stories, Jackie, where you look back and you say, I was terrible. I had these hard things in my life. Big sin. Big old sin. Mm -hmm. I wasn't disobedient. I was way too responsible for that. You know, I (laughs) even in high school, like I wanted to get drunk on the weekends, (laughs) but... I couldn't because it was like I physically couldn't because, number one, beer to me was such a bad thing because of what I grew up seeing, what right. it did. Um, but the other way is just I was felt too responsible to the rules. And so I would sometimes even look on my friends with envy, like, oh, man, lucky you. You don't have to worry about all these rules. And so for me, becoming a Christian was more like, oh, now I have a, a badge. It was sort of like... Well, Jesus is, it's great because that was my ticket to heaven. But in the meantime, it's going to be a meantime because I'm going to have to, you know, if I was going to share the good news, quote unquote, with someone, I secretly didn't think it was that great of news because at least the people who didn't know God could just wallow in their ignorance Mm -hmm. and didn't have all these rules they had to follow. That's Mm -hmm. sort of how I saw it. It's a terrible way to see it. No, but I think you're not alone. I think there's a lot of people listening to our voices today who 
have grown up in a similar situation and whether or not they as an adult have realized it's the case for them or not. You know, things can be happening in our souls that we don't pay attention to. It doesn't mean that they're not happening. And I think for you to have been honest with your own heart and wrestled through those things, and I think your writing probably has been a tool to help you do that. But um, the way in which you've written about it certainly is an offering of help to those of us who need to wrestle through or even come face to face with those internal things inside. Yeah, I, th- I hope so. And that's always, as a writer, you hope you give people the vocabulary to maybe say the things that they already know, but have not yet come up with the words for. Yeah. And so our hope would be that they not only meet Christ, but become free from this rule-oriented environment. So how did you go from moving from that towards where you've landed along the way? Well, I think I went through high school, college, went to Bible college for a couple years. Um, That's where I majored in music, which you could have gone to Bible college to major in not music. But anyway, (laughs) so random. I love that. My husband has a music theory degree. I was just not smart enough or talented enough to really do anything with my music degree. (laughs) Um, So I switched majors, but you know. Well, music uh, is a lot like math, I hear. Way too much like math. My husband's an engineer now, and it's amazing. His little engineer friends, I call them little engineer friends because they're kind (laughs) of mathy. You know, I thought I was good at math until he went to engineering school and like all these like five calculus levels or whatever. So he's totally on the math thing on math homework. But, um, you know. His little engineering friends are, many of them, musical. And I think it's because music theory is very predictable and very, uh, you know, you're able to see the outcomes, much like math. So, you know, cut yourself a break. It's okay. You switched. Yeah. It was when I realized, that's when I switched, was when I saw, when I started getting deep into the theory and realized this is way too much like math class. And I avoid math classes. So yes, it was for the smarty pants. (laughs) Um, So I went through school that way, sort of with the mindset of being a good girl and thinking that grace was for the people who uh, really needed forgiveness. Um, But as someone who kind of did life the quote unquote right way and tried really hard and didn't have those big sins under her belt, then I was kind of doing okay, except for when I wasn't. And so my life sort of was this pendulum swing between like being super prideful that I was awesome or feeling a deep sense of shame because I knew I couldn't keep this up. And so um, I remember talking to a friend and counselor who ended up telling me when I was, I shared with him sort of the ways I struggled and all the I, he sort of helped me see, you know, you're not really that good. <laughs> I thought it was so <laughs> awesome. And he sort of helped me see, but yet I struggled. It's like I, I thought mm-hmm. I was so great and I was doing a good job, but secretly, honestly, I knew that I wasn't. I knew that I... Well, you're, I, you had established I, an identity yes. based on that, and so you were shattering it. I was shattering it. it, and he he helped me gracefully, graciously see, um, you know, you're not really that great, um, and here's why. And when I finally <laughs> did see through the power of the Holy Spirit that I was actually pretty not great... I was devastated, Jackie. It was a devastating moment. It was actually a moment in time. I remember Mm -hmm. realizing like, oh, this is terrible, terrible news. I'm I'm full of rottenness. Like, this is not okay. He looked at me Mm -hmm. in that moment and he gave me a now what? I hoped he would give me a 10, 20, 100 step plan for how to fix it. Right. Um, Then I could just kind of bootstrap religion it, which is what I had been doing all my life. Try hard life was my mantra. Mm -hmm. Like, well, this is what... This is what Christianity is, right? You see what's wrong and you fix it. Um, and he graciously took me by the hand and led me to Jesus, really. I mean, sometimes I think the gospel is for Christians. We need to really know what the gospel Absolutely. says. And he looked at me and he said, listen, this is not who you are. This may be how you cope all these ways that you hide and mm-hmm. you try to make life work and you're prideful when you do great and you feel shame when you do bad. That may be how you cope, but this is not who you are. And that made Mm. all the difference because I realized my identity did not rest in my performance and I didn't have to perform for my acceptance, but now I could perform from my acceptance. I could simply be who I was in the presence of Christ. That's all he really asked of me. That made all the difference. Absolutely. And it 
it's life-changing for anyone who's experienced what you're describing. Um, I can relate to your story and what you've lived, and I think there are many out there who can. And yet, that brings you to a what now. You know, what now? And uh, you are releasing your fourth book this week, entitled Simply Tuesday, Small Moment Living in a Fast-Moving World. And for me, I really see it as your journey from this perfectionism and try hard life towards the embracing and celebration of smallness in life, not just for your own self, but you've graciously been willing to share it with us. And so I'd love for you to introduce us to the concept of Tuesday and our benches and being able to be with Christ because he's with us. You know, the try hard life um I think a lot of us can relate, meaning trying to make life work out of our own strength. And I lived that way for a lot of years, like we've shared. Um, what that leads to is my soul feeling like it's been held hostage by hustle. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is I end up walking through my days feeling like it's my responsibility to manage every outcome. And that will keep you up at night. <laughs> that will <laughs> allow you not to be able to um, sit down on the inside. And anybody who has it maybe has a habit of worry or anxiety um, knows what it feels like to, you might be super still on the outside, but the, on the inside, it's like your engine is constantly running. Yes. Um, and so I, even, even after I recognized and knew, oh, my life is not about me trying to make it work, it still becomes a daily understanding and a daily uh, reckoning of that to be true. And so once I had two babies at one time and ended up staying home with them and sort of found my life in many ways, it felt like it came to a screeching halt (laughs) because (laughs) you can't really maintain your same level, your same pace um, with two girls who need to eat every two and a half hours. Um, And so just something about motherhood sort of woke up in me this need for, um, well, I just sort of recognized how fast I had been moving and how I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't live that way anymore. And a lot of my identity was tied up in sort of being able to handle things um, until I couldn't handle things anymore. And so during that time, John was a youth pastor. And so Sundays for us was a work day. And it wasn't so much a day of rest. And so instead, I, in my own personal life, had to come up with another day that sort of felt like a day where I paid attention and slowed down. And Tuesday became that day for me. Tuesday became came a day that I sort of decided to set aside and celebrate the messy, the lovely, and the unexpected parts of life that actually made up my real life. And that really came from back in college. One of my favorite singer-songwriters was a girl by the name of Sarah Mason. And she um, had uh, one of her albums. She had a song called Tuesday. And in that song, part of the lyric uh, was Tuesday after a reckless and used day. I was running and running without a chance to stop and chat at the sky. And so her song was the inspiration for the title of my blog, Chatting at the Sky. But it also became a mantra for me in a way, because I think so many of us can relate to running and running without a chance to stop and chat at the sky and notice sort of what's going on in our actual everyday lives. If you want to see what your real life is made up of, just pay attention to your Tuesdays. You know, you can look at your weekends and see like, what are all the awesome things that you're doing? But your Tuesdays will show you like, oh, this is where I'm just making my regular dinners and this is my regular schedule. And so sometimes I, in the hustle and bustle of life, I tend to sort of work hard towards the weekends and I overlook those regular moments of my everyday life. Yeah. And those everyday moments are where we can actually commune with Christ because he's with us and we can surrender doing and decide to be being with him, right? Well, when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, um, the question has become for me, well, where do you intend for us to look and how will we know when we found it? I mean, in, in scripture, we can read that he says the kingdom of God is is here among us. You're not going to be able to say there it is or here it is, but it's already among us. And so um, where will his kingdom show up if not in our regular moments? 
sometimes I think we praise the big and um, it's easy to, especially maybe, maybe, and I'm just speaking from my own experience, but in some of the church culture that we live in and among and the ways that we talk, we tend to say that God is blessing something if it's growing or if it's gotten really big. Or we say like, oh, well, how many people came to that thing that you started? And if it's a big number, we're like, praise the Lord. He's really blessing it. God is showing up. And if it's a small number, maybe we doubt that the person had enough faith. Or maybe we doubt that God was in that thing at all. And I think that's a big mistake. And I'm learning in my own life that the Bible talks about not despising the days of small beginnings. Um, but I think in some ways I have secretly thought that, yes, yeah, small, begin small, and faith like a mustard seed. And I have all these like really lovely things that you can pin about small beginnings and how lovely it is. But I think secretly in my mind, I've been willing to embrace small beginnings because I've believed that one day they'll lead to a big ending. But in my experience, small beginnings sometimes lead only to small endings. And sometimes in the perspective of the world, it might even look like failure or disappointment. And it's in those places where we begin to wonder, did I hear God wrong? Should I not have started this thing? Is this a big failure? Um, but Jesus hangs out on the other side of failure and disappointment. And it's in those small, obscure non-spotlight places where I'm learning to find Him and where I'm learning to commune with Him in ways that I am sometimes unable to find Him and relate with Him in places of great success and great attention. Hmm. I think when, when we're small, the tendency is to dread the beginning because it's hard work. You know, when, when there's smallness and obscurity, we don't often see results because we've been focusing on the wrong goal. The goal becomes results instead yeah. of uh, the experience and the growth that Christ wants to cultivate in our own hearts. And we tend to start noticing other people's smallness <laughs> that's growing towards greatness. And I love this quote that you write. It says, the best way to sabotage our own success is to be obsessed with someone else's. But in Christ, my life is not my own to hold on to or get credit for. If they don't know who you are, then you have been given the gift of obscurity. Let this not be offensive. Let this be a gift. Don't fear invisibility. What if your big break is really a breaking from big? Becoming acquainted with the suffering and brokenness of Jesus and embracing his downward way. How, Emily, do we do this? This is so hard, not only in our everyday lives as we interact with moms comparing our kids at school or, you know, dads comparing our achievements at the office. Of course, we don't even have to mention online things. This obscurity and embracing smallness and even celebrating it sometimes is like a grieving process, and yet it can be a relief to our souls at the same time. How have you found that to be true? I think I grieve my smallness every single day. Hmm. I can find, if I'm paying attention, I can find one or a hundred moments almost every day where it hurts to be small. Mm -hmm. And I wish more than anything that what's true wasn't true. And that can be in a conversation that might be in, like you said, something I see online. Someone who I think does this really beautifully is Krista Wells, who's a singer-songwriter. And she and I have had lots of conversations about this because she she says, and she admits, you know, she, she writes songs. She's written songs that have gone on to become really successful, recorded by other artists. Um, her deepest love is songwriting. But she also, several years ago, started to perform some and had a few CDs come out. But she does not live in Nashville. She chooses to live in Raleigh with her family, North Carolina, not too far from me. But she has had people who have said to her in, mm. in the past, and I've heard her tell the stories, you know, like, oh, Krista, just keep trusting God. One day you're going to you're gonna get your big break. And she has said, you know, I'm. that's not really what I'm looking for. And I think in the world of, especially the performance world, like the, you know, artist's world or or even book writing, like what I do, you know, people will talk that way. It's like the language that we use is we assume that everybody is looking for the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that may be true in some cases, but, but I love how she has made a choice. It's like, well, 
we also have a choice, and her choice has been to live in Raleigh and to do life there and to have her family there. And in making that choice, she has had to give up some things, but she's also, you can't ignore the things that she has gained. And so um, that whole, you're going to make it big one day and just you wait, you know, one day people will exalt your words and will really, this this book is going to be your this is going to be your breakout book. You know, people will say to me, <laughs> have said that to me about all of my books. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I've broken out yet. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think I'm ever going to break out, but I think I've already been broken. And I think that's the beautiful part is that mm-hmm. that's where Christ meets me. And so I'm not, I'm not really looking to break out or to, to make it big, but sometimes on the level of my soul, uh, my soul takes issue with that because I want to say, uh, right. actually, uh, um, excuse me, but I would actually like the attention. Thank you very much. And would you please stop saying that you don't want to make it big because that's just what's going to happen, that you're not oh. going to ever. And so there's always a tension, Jackie, within right. me that is like, yeah, I want, I've worked really hard on this and I want, I want people to know about it and I want to get the praise that I think maybe I deserve. And there's this other part of me that fears that more than anything in the mm-hmm. world. And, um, you know, I, I talk about in the book how I heard a quote from Al Andrews who said, our souls aren't made for fame. Mm-hmm. And man, is that ever true? If you ever hear any, like on any celebrity bio that you hear, you never hear like the narrator say, Oh, well, the instant fame and success of so-and-so led to peace and joy (laughs) and a lifetime of contentment. No, you hear the instant stardom of so-and-so led to drugs and alcohol and and hard times. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's not always the case, but usually when it's not the case, it's the exception. And so I just feel like our souls are made for Jesus and not for the attention and accolades that we sometimes long for. But Every day, I have to relearn that, and sometimes every minute. And it's a surrendering process. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. A, <laughs> a willful pa- choice is painful. painful. Yeah. It can be painful because it's just – it's choosing the opposite of what everyone says mm-hmm. is good. And so in those places where we are sitting down on the inside and we are choosing – to be with Christ in our smallness and relating to the suffering of Christ in a sense in our surrendering our dreams and desires for bigness, which isn't good for our soul anyway, we often feel insecure and we feel uh, on shaky ground and we need people to come alongside of us and to hold our hand. And you write about it being that we need a safe place to be insecure And all the things about how we're prone as people to compete in races instead of connect face to face. It's often hard to do that. And we want to reach out, but we don't know how and it's awkward. And our souls end up feeling lonely in deep places. And I think loneliness is becoming a more pervasive problem that many people aren't really talking about, because I think it's hard to admit to our own hearts that we're lonely. I know for me, this last year was a season of loneliness and still is. I'm looking forward to new change and new beginnings with um, some things in our family. But it's hard to even admit that you're lonely. And it's it's sort of this underlying restlessness and anxiousness that maybe inside we don't always acknowledge is there. We just know there's something just not right. But we know as we keep company with Jesus and look towards our smallness that he has made us to connect with others. And sometimes we need others to see a different perspective of our souls that they can see that we can't. So can you share with us your experience with community Um, I know you write about Marion and your artist circle and just some ways that we all need a safe place to be insecure and choose to face each other to be vulnerable and connect. Well, I have a love-hate relationship with vulnerability. Maybe everybody does (laughs) where you you want it so desperately, Um, but at the same time, it's terrifying. In fact, when my mother-in-law got her hands on Simply Tuesday, a copy just a few weeks ago, I gave her a copy and she started reading it. And the next day she said to me, Emily, she's very Southern, by the way, (laughs) Emily, I cannot believe that you were, you've been so lonely. I didn't realize that you've been so lonely. I feel like I have to read your book to get to know you. And then she said, 
I've been lonely too. We need to talk. (laughs) And I thought, you know, sometimes I, I realize and I recognize in myself that I do write in order to find out what I believe about things. And sometimes I, I wish I wasn't that way. It's just not easy for me to be like, oh, hey, I'm lonely. Want to go to lunch? You know, it's just like, eh, no thanks. I'll just be by myself. I'll just be in my loneliness. But sometimes like I, I went through a period, especially about a year ago, as I was writing this book, actually, which is why I write about it, of just a deep, profound sense of like it ached on the mm-hmm. inside, just lonely where I couldn't connect and I was longing for connection and I prayed about it. And then I kind of realized one day that, you know, sometimes when we think we're waiting on God, he's actually waiting on us. Mm -hmm. And I realized maybe he was wanting me to maybe make the first move. And so I was feeling lonely in three specific areas of my life on the level of my soul, in my own work and in my community, I was feeling lonely. And so I just sort of said, you know what, this is for the birds and I, I can't wait anymore to feel connection. And I can't manufacture a connection, but I can at least make a move in that direction. And so um, what I did was I thought about, okay, I'm feeling lonely in my soul. So what can I do? I had read and heard about spiritual direction, which is really just um, someone who you can talk with, who will hold open a prayerful space for you to talk about the things of God and what's happening on the deep level of your soul. It's someone who's willing to enter in as a co-listener in your life. Um, So it's not anything, if you've never heard that term before, it's not anything weird and it doesn't have to be mystical. It's simply an intentional friendship with someone who's willing to go there with you. And so, And someone who's not impressed by you. I I loved that part of it. Well, and that was one of my requirements because as a good girl, I kind of know how to put off a good impression. Right. (laughs) And and as a writer, if people have read my books, they might see me first as an author, second as a person. Right. And um, sometimes that works in my favor, honestly. And so I did not want to meet with anyone who knew who I was or who had aspirations to become an author because sometimes that can get weird if right. someone wants your job or someone who knew who I was based on John's job or in the community. Mm-hmm. So I ended up finding a woman who was uh, older than me and who had never heard of John or me, didn't care really who we were, <laughs> and um, which was awesome. That's and, um, awesome. I met, went and met with her. It was terrifying, honestly, Jackie, because it's almost like you're lonely and you make these plans. And then the day that you're supposed to come meet with the person, you're like, never mind, I'll stay home. And it's like the worst thing ever because, oh, hey, let me show like, up This on was purpose. such a terrible idea and your Terrib- palms are sweaty. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. And we get there and she like has a candle lit and it was so lovely. And, oh. and then she just stares at me and it was quiet. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> But in the end, um, it was really lovely. But I, I had to get over myself um, <laughs> at oh. the initial shock of feeling like I need to always fill the, the silence, right. which is part of my problem. That was yeah. part of my soul's problem is my soul longed for some stillness, but I was afraid of, of the quiet. And so that was what she sort of helped draw out of me was to not be so afraid of that. And where can I meet God in this place? Um, and so that was one area in my soul. And I still meet I still meet with Marion. It's been over a year now that we've met together. Um, and it's not always quiet. I talk a lot when I meet with her. And sometimes she talks a lot. But <laughs> but sometimes it's quiet, too. And, and that's really good for me. But another area was in my work. I felt really lonely in my work. And online, I have a lot of relationships. But um, I got to a place where I really wanted some connection, like like in the flesh connection right. with people who sort of are creative and um, maybe do the same type of writing work. So I ended up reaching out to two, two girls. And it was one of those things where it's like, they might write me back. I texted them. They might text me back and be like, um, no, thanks. I don't really, I'm not feeling lonely and I'm, I'm good. Right. But I, two of my friends, Amy and Laura, I just texted them and was like, listen, this is the thing. I'm feeling lonely in my work. And if you've ever felt that way too, do you want to just like get together and talk about that or and they immediately were like yes please thank you amen i mean it was like <laughs> that immediate so we just got together and and we got together um maybe once a month for a while and it was just it wasn't magical and but what it did for me is it, it helped me know that you know friendship doesn't have to be fancy and it doesn't have to be like 
I am going to find 25 people that I can relate with on a deep level. It's like two was enough. Like it was, right. it was really fine to find two people. And it, it didn't take this elaborate program. We didn't read a book together. It was just, it was just getting together on a regular day, like a regular Tuesday, being ourselves and honest in the presence of one another and a presence of Christ. And it just helped me not to feel so lonely. Um, and so that was really a big deal for me at the time. It still is. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, as we begin reaching out and we dare to do those scary things of, you know, driving to someone's house we don't know or uh, texting a friend and risking rejection, when we do start to connect and build relationship and we get to those very honest soul levels, it can be a tricky thing to maneuver and navigate because as we are deciding to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable, Interactions happen and things like irritation or conflict or misunderstanding can occur, right? Right. <laughs> and um, it becomes really confusing how to know. And you, you, um, they'll have to read the book to understand the whole concept, but this concept of footnotes and headlines and, and how some things that are said, you know, just you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I just don't feel good about that interaction. I don't know what to do. It feels dumb and silly, but do I bring it up to them or do I not? I don't want to look even dumber than I am. And <laughs> do I really want them to know that I like had a problem with this obscure phrase that they probably meant as nothing and you like play it over and over in your mind and you just really want these authentic connecting friendships. I know for me, one of my five top strengths is um, relator and communication is one of my other ones. And so this is an area that I really struggle with and I related to as you wrote about it. And so this balance of being honest and mature and not letting footnotes turn into headlines, can you help us navigate that? Because friendships and connections are wonderful and we need them, um, but they sure are hard. They're so hard. And you sound a lot like me in that you you value connection deeply. Deeply. Um, and for those of us who feel that way about, you know, with people, it's like connection because becomes so important and it is so important and that's a lovely thing. But what can happen is that we put connection higher than um, maybe the voice of God. And then if we there's a broken connection, that becomes, it's like, oh, this is highest priority. What mm -hmm. do I need to do to make this right? Do I need to apologize? Do I need to thank someone? Do I need to fix it? And some things just are, and they're beyond my ability to control or fix. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I found myself having a conversation, a very difficult conversation with someone who I respected and really liked, but I had to have this conversation that I knew had the potential to break the connection. And um, it was difficult. And it was this relational interaction ended up that went not great. I mean, it went it went so not great that I lost sleep over it for several days. And I knew the reason why was I couldn't fully explain myself. Mm -hmm. I knew the person was disappointed in me and I could not control what they thought of me. And so I just felt like it was super messy. And that's so hard. I can relate to what you're saying because it's like that lack of being able to rest in your soul when you know someone's not okay with you, but you can't really communicate well. So what did you end up doing? Well, nothing. <laughs> what I ended up doing was having to, to realize that sometimes um, – I think about the way little children deal with things. And, you know, you think about how, how Jesus always says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the littlest, to the children. And we hear Jesus often telling adults to become like little children. And never once in the Bible do we hear him telling little children to grow up. Wes Stafford pointed that out, who mm. was the former president of Compassion International, who knows a lot about children because that was his whole life's work was um, was children and providing for them. But I think about how endlessly messy children are and that when I find myself in the midst of a messy relational interaction, um, if, I, if I know that it's not been something that I've, that I need to apologize for or something that's like, a blatant sin or something like that, which as a good girl, I still have those tendencies to internalize and think that everything is my fault, even if it's not. And so I have to really sift through in the presence of Christ, is this something I need to apologize for? Or is that my good girl speaking that says, there's a broken connection and you need to fix it? Mm -hmm. um, 
Because it's true that that interaction with that person could have gone way better as I rehearsed it in my mind. You know, I could have said things differently. I could have approached it differently. I could have explained myself better, but I didn't. And it was messy. And that was the simple truth. Mm. But I'm so thankful that my father doesn't expect me to get everything right. And I'm thankful that he's not only okay with my mess, but that he invites me to come away with him and to trust that he's with me in the midst of it. And that's where those footnotes and headlines that you were talking about, the difference between a footnote interaction and a headline interaction. You're going through your day. You have an interaction with someone. Now, that interaction I just shared with you, that was a headline. That was mm-hmm. obvious that obvious. I... I knew it beforehand. I knew it during it. I knew it afterwards. This is a big deal. So I was sort of on high alert, mm-hmm. knowing like, okay, Lord, how can you be with me in this? Um, but sometimes there are things that come up in our lives that we don't even realize bothered us until a day or two later. And we're still, maybe we're subconsciously rehearsing a conversation we mm-hmm. had in our minds. And then we realize like, oh, that I'm mad at that person. And I didn't even realize it because it was mm-hmm. such a small interaction that you didn't think it was a deal. Now, in the past, I used to think, that it was my responsibility as a person and as a believer to confront those um, times when someone bothered me because, like, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Like, oh, well, right. this keep thing short accounts, me. Right. keep a short account, ask forgiveness or request forgiveness or just be, like, honest. And I would envy the people who seem to do that well, who seem to be really vocal. And, like, they always say, like, well, I'm just a tell-it-like-it-is person or I'm just honest or I'm not going to hide things. And I always envied people like that because I thought I was supposed to be more like that. Mm. And I could – I True. I have a lot to learn about um, being honest and not hiding when things hurt my feelings. But I think I've also, I have also learned that there is value in my personality too, which is sometimes those footnote interactions are not worth the headline. And sometimes uh, the the action that I need to take is not to go to that person, but it's to handle that footnote especially when it's turned into a headline on the level of my soul, Mm -hmm. is to take it into the presence of Christ and say, okay, this bothered me. Here's why. Do I need to go to that person? Honestly, nine times out of 10, if it was a footnote interaction, I don't need to go to that person. But I do need to recognize how and why that bothered me because usually it's showing up something on the level of my soul that I need to deal with. But I need to deal with it in private with my father, not with this person. Because the truth is, it's not really about them. It's really about me. And so that's something that becomes tricky to navigate. And sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I hold something to myself when I should have spoken, sometimes the other way around. But I think sometimes we value the traits in someone like, well, I'm just, I just tell it like it is. I don't know that that's always best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of the fact that we need to be communing with Christ and inviting him into these footnote feelings and really seeking his guidance and discernment to know what to do, because I don't think there are clear cut answers and it there's so many variables involved. But I love how you talked about the more important thing. Well, maybe not more important, but equally important thing is to pay attention to those irritations and those footnotes that bother you, because you can learn a lot about your own self if you're willing to really be honest. And I know when I talk to Shauna Nequist, this is one of the things I remember her saying about when you start to feel jealous of someone or envious to be paying attention to why that is inside you. You know, maybe you're seeing the situation in a way that may or may not be the reality. And what is that saying to your own self about what you're missing or lacking or desiring or wanting to change? And it can actually be a catalyst for our own personal growth. And it really isn't about jealousy, envy, or the actual footnote at all. That's so true. And, you know, I think that there is a tendency, even in this conversation, someone might think, oh my goodness, like there are starving people in the world and there are bigger deals <laughs> yes. to think about. I'm glad you brought that up. Somebody like saying you taking something the wrong way. And, but here's the whole reason why I think it is so important, especially as believers, for us to shine a little spotlight on these footnote and headline interactions that we have with people is because if I if I can't bring these smallest hurts into the presence of Christ, mm-hmm. and if I can't allow him and invite him into these small, tiny fissures that show up in my soul, then how 
can I even begin to walk into the brokenness of the world if I have not yet first invited Christ into the brokenness of my own soul? Because the truth is, that's where we live. Yes. Like we, with yes, there are huge hurts that we have in our lives, and there are giant celebrations that we have. But most of life is not lived in brightness or or in deep darkness. But it's in the medium light of a regular day. And so, if in the medium light we can't invite Him into those regular places, then we don't have. We have not figured out how to live and walk with Christ day in and day out so that when we get to those times when we're called to minister or to speak into the lives of others, we won't know what to say because we haven't seen how he can meet us in the regular, small, everyday moments of our own lives. Mm, I love that. It's so true because out of who we are becoming in Christ is the place from which we can serve the world. And that's what God's called us to do is be his light. And so, Emily, it's just been so awesome to talk with you today. I'm so thankful for your message. Can you leave us with some practical ways that we can embrace and celebrate smallness and sit down on the inside? Well, a few practical ways that I personally love. One (laughs) is um, I do every week and hundreds of people join me. I show up on Instagram every Tuesday and just take a picture of my regular everyday life. I try to make it pretty because pretty pictures are more fun than not pretty pictures. Right. (laughs) Um, But it's always a regular moment. And I tag it with um, hashtag with it's simply Tuesday. And it's just it's just a very tangible, practical way. I have my phone with me all, always anyway to document just the regular life of where I am right now. And we do it on Tuesdays. And if you click on the It's Simply Tuesday stream, my goodness, it's so beautiful to, for me. It's one of my favorite things to do every week, Jackie, is to scroll through and see, look, here we all are living our lives, small moment living, even in the midst of our fast moving worlds, this is the kingdom of God. This is this is where he shows up is in our regular everyday moments. And he'll show up in the big moments too. But that's not usually what we celebrate on Tuesdays. And so that's one way to practically do it with a community like that's online because it's so fun. I love it. And do we have permission to hashtag it simply Tuesday on a Thursday or a Friday? Because like I am finding <laughs> myself wanting to You know, as I've been absorbing this message and it's, you know, becoming a part of me, I feel like I can see life as a Tuesday every day. Absolutely. And in fact, um, here's a behind the scenes fun little fact (laughs) is that Simply Tuesday was originally titled Everyday Tuesday. Really? And it almost went to the catalog that way, Everyday Tuesday, but... It bothered me enough that you say day twice every day Tuesday. Um, I was like, y'all, I just don't, I can't. Every day Tuesday is just bothering me. Um, So we ended up with Simply Tuesday, which I like better. But the concept is like what you say. It's really every day. Yeah. We can have that Tuesday mentality every day, even, even in the midst of a highlight Saturday night. We can still celebrate our smallness, even if the outside looks very big. And so, yes, I think you can hashtag it's simply Tuesday. Okay, I have permission. <laughs> Any day of the week, yes. And then just one final thing. Um, I, I've created a series of free videos that you can sign up for at simplytuesday.com, um, where I share four really practical ways to sort of take a soul breath, um, even in the midst of your busy life. And one of those ways I'll just share is um, sometimes, Jackie, I just, like we talked about, before, um, trying to get still is hard sometimes for me. Yes. And so I will do, and what I share this in a video story of how I do this, but I will literally set my timer on my iPhone for five minutes and I'll just put it next to me at my, next to my chair. And I will, until that timer goes off, it's like, I am going to sit here in my chair and, and I'm going to sit here without an agenda in the presence of my father, like a child. And it's hard, honestly, not to be fidgety. You think like, Oh, I'm going to do 20. Trust me, start with five. (laughs) (laughs) And then build your way up if you must. But five minutes is amazing Um, what that can do on the level of my soul, just five minutes a day of, of silence. And how do we train our minds not to wander during our silent time? It's a great question. (laughs) 
we'll have to try it to find out, right? You'll have to try it. Yep. Oh, I just love it, love it, love it. It's a message that my soul has needed. And I'm so thankful that you've written it and not only written it, but lived it. And I'm just so thankful to know you and thankful that you you were faithful to write this message, uh, even though it was vulnerable and challenging and a wrestle, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's been so fun talking with you. Oh, I loved it. So I will link to all of your places, emilypfreeman.com, simplytuesday.com. And you all, trust me, get this book. I know my podcast is not a podcast of book reviews, although some of you might be thinking that it is because so many authors are on the show. But I promise you, I am bringing you work that I think that your soul and your life will not only benefit from, but that it'll help you find hope in your most muddy places. And this certainly is a message to underline and reread. And um, Emily, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's all for this episode. Wasn't she darling? Wasn't she just such a gift to us? And I'm so thankful that she has said yes to write words that as she wrestles down these concepts in her own life, as she struggles through being able to sit down on the inside and let her soul have room to breathe, it just is a gift that she gives to help us find our own way to sit down on the inside and help our souls to breathe too. And to remember that throughout all of it, that Christ is with us. He is not only within us, he not only wants to come out through us, but he is with us. May we remember today our smallness and may we embrace it. May we celebrate and may we find Jesus, our kind gentle companion as we journey through all of these challenges of life, all of our mud. He is there right beside us, right where we are. As usual, you can find the show notes of this episode over at the website, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 56. Again, to receive the free PDF of the show notes from this episode and all of the lovely quotes from Emily's new book, Simply Tuesday, simply get out your cell phone and text the words episode 56 to the number 33444. Again, text the words episode 56 with no spaces to the number 33444, and that will be delivered to you in your inbox from me completely for free. Don't forget, you can also get an app for this podcast if you want to receive episodes without delay anywhere that you get your apps, either the Play Store for Android or the App Store for Apple, and just search the words Mud Stories and it will come up there and you can get that for free. It would also be such a gift to me today if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating or review for this podcast. If any of these episodes have encouraged you, if they've helped you through any season of your mud, it just helps to have a rating or review because that's the way that iTunes knows to show this podcast to more people so that they can ultimately hear these stories and be encouraged too. And so if you have time today, even just a sentence or two um, to just write an encouraging note, I read each and every one of them and they are such an inspiration to me. Emily's message is so life-changing. It would also be such a gift if you would just tell a friend about this podcast so that they can not only hear Emily's words, but so that they can find these stories and be encouraged no matter what they're facing. I can't thank you enough for showing up each and every week to listen to this podcast. I know there are so many things you could be doing. I just am so thankful for each and every one of you. I wish I could have a phone call with all of you. And if you have a guest that you think would be a good fit for this show, if they have a story, if they've been through some mud that could inspire others, would you get in contact with me? You can reach me on Twitter or Facebook, send me an email message. I would love to hear from you. Or even maybe if you want to tell me a a way that this um, podcast has impacted you, I would love to hear it. And I pray for you regularly. I want you to know and realize that God is with you in each and every moment. And I think this is why Emily's message just inspired me so much. And um, 
So let's celebrate together. We can meet over at the hashtag It's Simply Tuesday and discover all of the beautiful ways people are sharing about their everyday Tuesday moments, not only on Tuesday, but any day of the week. And I hope that uh, this episode has inspired you and lifted your heart and your soul today. I know that is the desire of both Emily and me. And so today, as we go through our everyday Tuesdays, no matter what we're facing today, no matter where we've been or what lies ahead, may we find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. I never in mother feels a press upon my mind I pull the shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame and I never will find a way out and then I feel you next to me you lift my head to see your strong arm reaches to me your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole you wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me She floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me off with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place. You overwhelm my broken thoughts and you mend my lost and damaged heart. I find myself where I belong in your safe a grateful song to sing.